I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. <laughs> welcome to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching the next generation in our world today. I'm Micah Keneally, and this is my co-host. I'm Josiah Keneally, and hey, babe, how are you doing? I'm doing great. The sun is shining. It's 40 above zero here in the Midwest in January, which is unheard of. Most summers or winters and any other season. So we've got positive temperatures. We've got positive attitudes. We're pumped <laughs> today. Stinking pumped to have this conversation. We're fired up and thanks for subscribing, mm-hmm. rating, reviewing, you know, the drill that there's new content posted every Monday morning that can help you in your life, mm-hmm. ministry, family, your leadership, start your week off strong. And um, today we are joined by Mike Harder. Mike, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me here. We're thrilled to have you. And Mike Carter is the pastor of Kairos Nashville. Kairos is the young adults ministry of Brentwood Baptist Church in Tennessee. And um, I would just say right off the top, it was a few years ago, but I graduated um, college in 2013 from North Central University and mm-hmm. um, found myself teaming up with the Ramsey Solution Studios for a project in Brentwood at the time. And it was like a Tuesday afternoon. And I just Googled, there's got to be a young adult ministry in this state that I can drive to. And I showed up (laughs) at Kairos and it was like nothing I've ever seen um, probably before or since as far as a young adult expression in the Mm -hmm. local church and just a hunger, just amazing worship challenging message that was super applicable to the life of a college student or young professional. And so we love your church, Mike, we love your ministry and so thrilled to connect with you, but can you um, just dive in and share a little bit of like you're leading Kairos now, but kind of like, how did you get there? What's been your journey of life, family, ministry, leadership? Well, thank you for having me on. It's been uh, a huge honor to be here with you guys. And it is a lot of fun to hear your story and hear what God is doing in Minnesota. Um, I grew up in Bogota, Colombia, uh, South America. And we um, were there because my parents were missionaries. They were church planners. And so I grew up on the mission field with a really great family uh, in a really hard part of the world to grow up in. Because when I was there, there was a lot of violence with the the drug trade and later with the guerrilla movements that were there, a lot of civil unrest. Uh, But at the same time, we saw God do a lot of great work. A lot of people came to know Jesus. And that just really impressed me to have a missionary mentality uh, wherever I I go. So what I've found is that everywhere I've been since my childhood, uh, where I grew up on the mission field, I've, I've, I've carried with me this missionary ethos that every part of my life should be on mission because what people are doing over there we can do here and our communities that we're in are um rapidly becoming less uh christian they're becoming a lot more secular and we need to think with a missionary mentality if we're going to ever reach the people that we live among uh but i love the fact that you guys are in minnesota minnesota is a place that's really close to my heart went to northwestern college um, I was uh, running from God when I first came there. I, I went there because my parents said I had to go to a Christian college, but that was the expectation. 
And Minnesota was as far away from Columbia as I could go and still be in the United States. (laughs) I I had never seen snow. Uh, So that was a a part of the package. I was like, I want to experience this thing they call cold. And so uh, I moved to Minnesota. I got my fill of the snow. I really enjoyed it. But uh, I'm I'm, I'm glad I, I no longer have, you know, five months of winter. Um, but uh, it's, it's cool. I, I'll say this, running from the Lord, like the Lord called me in ministry. I got saved in college. Um, I distinctly remember going to church uh, as, a, as a non-believer when I was in college and challenging the pastor on what he was saying. It was actually, the funny part, it was actually John Piper of all people. Like I would be like, hey man, I think you got this wrong, you know, and and he would just listen to me because he's so gracious. He I think he was thinking, like, who's this dude? Like, he has no idea who he's talking to, you know. But like, <laughs> I remember going to church hungover and talking to John Piper after the services. Uh, and and my my story was actually so far from the Lord that when my wife went to uh, go with me to a wedding that we had from one of my college roommates was getting married, everybody was shocked that I was a pastor. People were like, Mike Harder is a pastor if he can be a pastor that anybody can be, you know, they were just absolutely blown away that the Lord had done something like that in my life. So I went to college there, enjoyed it, and then ended up um, graduating, going to seminary, mm-hmm. and then um, moved to Nashville in 2008 to plant a church. And so I planted a church here in Nashville, um, pastored that church for 13 years. We reached a lot of young adult college students. Our church was right next to Vanderbilt and Belmont University. So we had a ton of grad students, a lot of young adults, and we spent a ton of time just investing in those young adults. Uh, as I've been kind of going through the season of life, though, as I was planning, I started feeling like God had something else for us. I didn't really know what that meant. Um, I really felt a lot of openness, though, that I had not felt before. Mm-hmm. And so we just started saying, like, Lord, what do you have for us? So my wife and I, Tabitha and I, both felt this way. So we started just seeking God's face. And uh, a year ago, Kairos invited me to be their their pastor and so that wasn't an easy decision we loved the church that we were pastoring uh we loved the people we're still really close with them some of the best people in the world were a part of that church but we just felt that god had something new for us and um the reason we came here is because we believe that young adult ministry can really change the world you know i, I believe that it's probably the most fertile ground uh for life-changing ministry and i believe that the people in this age range you know 18 to 40 are thinking about things that will affect the rest of their life. And they're at a time where they're making critical decisions uh, that will uh, influence thousands of people, you know? And so mm-hmm. the, the lives that are changed during this season can, can really make a difference for the future of our country and the future of their cities and our future of, of their children and the, the people that those children will know. And so I think it's one of the most strategic moments in time. And so that's why... I feel like God's called us to this stage. So came on staff here, uh, June, 2021. I've been here about seven months and it's been, it's been really interesting being a part of this ministry. It's been fun. Incredible. Well, the thing is with young adult ministry, what I've realized is there's never a dull moment. 
It doesn't matter if there is 10 in a room or 10,000 in the room. Like there is never going to be a dull moment because they are, they're innovative. They have ideas of their own. They have opinions, they have desires, they have questions and they're in a pivotal moment of their life. Like you had said, like those pivotal moments are attending church, surrounding themselves with a community, getting called into ministry, called to the marketplace. And so many people are able to respond to those callings in the setting of a church or a college ministry, or, you know, just getting called to the stage. Like, Hey, if you feel led to be X, Y, and Z come to the stage, we want to pray for you. And so and some young adults, believe it or not, they will not know who their pastor is and they'll be hung over in the service and they'll show up mm -hmm. and challenge them and go forward and, and, you know, provoke a new thought with, you know, their pastor too. <laughs> that's right. That, and that's what happen. I loved about that story. I just told you, it's like, I realize how influential to see those interactions were after that service or those services where I was taken seriously, even though I was a complete mess mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and where I was given dignity, even though I, I had none. And that those kinds of moments maybe said, I want to be the kind of person that can help mm -hmm. the person that I used to be. That's good. Yep. So, that, so that those young men and young women who are currently dealing with doubt and not certain about whether God is real or what he's doing, that they will have a place where their questions can be asked and they can be asked in a place where they'll be taken seriously. That's so good. That's so good, Mike. And we know that Kairos is happening every Tuesday night. Is that correct still? That's, that's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Why don't you tell the listener or like inform the listener and inform us, like, what is God doing there? How does the night look like? How have you guys been able to reach the individuals in the seats and beyond the church walls when it comes to the ministry of leading young adults on a Tuesday night in your community and in the church? Well, you know, one of the things that's really exciting is we're seeing a lot of our younger attendees get really fired up for Jesus. So it's been really interesting. Some of uh, our college students are making significant decisions to follow Jesus. Um, we've seen a bunch of people get baptized, which has been so exciting. One of our young guys uh, recently came to Christ, got baptized, and has decided to go on the mission field for an entire year. He's going to Greece. And he's going to go serve among the refugee camps that are there. We're going to be sending a mission trip to go alongside him this summer to go serve with him in Greece. So we're going to do short-term and long-term together. But what was so cool is that when he got baptized, there was a couple of people who got baptized that night. As a result of that baptism, we had four young ladies that said, we also want to get baptized. So we just baptized two more people last night. Love it. Uh, and simply because they saw someone fall in love with Jesus and they said, I can do the same thing, right? And that's one of the things that I think is so powerful about young adults is that they have the freedom to make decisions like that. They're like, I can do that. I am freed up and I want to go do something different with my life. And so I will. And um, to be honest, where I'm at right now, where I have a, a mortgage and a minivan um, and I've got three kids and we're adding another one to the, to the fold. We're going to be a family of four kids. Uh, it's a lot tougher to do some of those things. Right. Yep. And uh, it's not as easy to be like, yeah, let's just go like overseas for an entire year. Like that's just really tough. But when, but when people are at this stage of life, they're able to really make decisions that will affect the rest of their, their story. And that's powerful. It's so cool. So 
it's, it's really fun to hear mm-hmm. about, to witness, to see, and, um, to just have it on our radar. And, um, right. I remember even learning about the name in the Greek of Kairos and, and also Kronos and the difference of, of those. And so the name of your ministry carries a significant, you know, name and meaning really, can you share about that? Maybe Kairos, Kronos, the idea behind that? Yeah. Uh, Kairos, it's funny. People are like, what does that even mean? Right? <laughs> like, why'd you guys call it that? So what you said is, um, is, is really the heart behind what we're talking about. Right? So in Greek, there's two words for time. First chronos is chronological time, or just a, a time that you can tell on a clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Kairos is about a specific moment in time. Often people call it God's time or God's moment. And so the reason our senior pastor called Kairos Kairos because Kairos is started by Mike Glenn, who's our senior pastor at Roman Baptist. It was his baby. He loves it. He has a passion for young adults. Um, and he pastored it for the first 12 years of Kairos. And so um, when he called it Kairos, he wanted it to be a place where, where there was a vision in, uh, in the very name of this place where mm-hmm. people could see their time at Kairos to be a moment where God was going to do something in their life and that they would um, focus on God's purpose for, for them and their story. And so that's really why we're called Kairos, that this is a time that God has set aside for people to engage with him. And I think that that just really communicates the heart behind Kairos really well. And I think Mike Glenn, the senior pastor, what was that? Was that 30 years ago this year that he, um, or how long ago was it that he started Kairos? So he, he came to Brentwood 30 years ago okay, it was 30. and 17 years ago, he was approached by a bunch of young adults who said, we think that Nashville needs a thing like Kairos. And they cited a couple other places. And so he said, all right, I'll, I'll start doing it. Cause one of the things that Mike is, Mike is a master communicator. He's a great leader. He's a catalytic guy who really um, has modeled incredible leadership. In fact, one of the reasons why I wanted to come to Kairos is because I wanted to spend time with them. I was like, I want to be around people like you who love the church, love their spouse, raise their kids to know and love the Lord. And then uh, is someone who's been faithful and has finished really well. I want to spend time with someone like you. And so Mike, um, 17 years ago, had these young adults come to him and said, they said, we want to do this. And his philosophy is listen to what God is telling the church and then be a part of it. So it's not necessarily top down. Like I've got this vision and this plan and y'all just need to get on board to accomplish my vision. He goes the opposite way. He goes, well, what is the, what is the spirit of God doing in the lives of the people? And then how can I nurture it? And so he came alongside it and Kairos um, really took off like year two. It's just like, boom. Because people have found out about it. And we're like, we want to be a part of something that really changes our lives. It's helpful. And so Mike was just like, he's a visionary, but his vision is, is comes from a different perspective. A lot of people are like, man, I got all the answers. Mike's like, no, Holy Spirit's telling the people. So we need to listen to what he's saying. That's good. That's so fun to hear. And to know that one of our prayers is that we would finish ministry well, whether that be till the end mm-hmm. of our lot, so like to the last breath we take or until God releases us to whatever capacity. And to hear that somebody's been in ministry with young adults for 13 years, 17 years, 10 years, over two years is a big deal in this day and age. That's true. So many mm-hmm. of our listeners 
are just starting out. So Mike, they're like in their first year, maybe first three years, maybe they kind of have the same thing that you stepped into a form of ministry um, with young adults during a pandemic or whatever we're considered right now. But I'd be interested to hear, how would you encourage the leader whose role right now is to serve their pastor's vision? And that is to start a young adult ministry for the church in which they're working. Like, what do you have for encouragement or advice for them right now? I would, so I would say there's a couple of things that I would do. One, as I would get really clear as to what you're trying to do, I would get really clear. Like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to, to build a, an attractional space? Are you trying to disciple people? Are you trying to, to, uh, to send them on mission? Like, what are you trying to do and make sure that you and your senior leadership are all on the same page, by the way, this, this is kind of weird. It's my shofar. I feel like I have horns growing out of my back. So this is, a, this is, <laughs> I didn't want to say anything, but it was kept catching my eyes. It's kind of weird, oh, right? Hello. So this is a, just in case, any, I don't know if this is on video for anybody, but this is a, okay. This is a, a Ram's horn that I bought on the streets of Jerusalem on the Via Dolorosa. It was a little hole in the wall place in the old city. And this is what they would blow when, they would worship or call people to worship at the temple. It's also what they blew when the walls of Jericho came down uh, and they like walked around the city. So anyway, all being said, people are wondering what that is. That's what this is. So <laughs> let me put this down. Uh, Cause I was, I was just realized I was like, that really bothers me. Um, but uh, uh, you're asking like what to do to encourage people. I would say, yeah, get really clear. Like, what are you really trying to do? Uh, second, I would, I would create a group of people who would pray with you. Um, I, I really believe that, fi- that, that finding people that love you, love the Lord, and love young adults, go find those people. I was meeting with a lady who's legendary in our town who loves young adults. She's 78 years old, and I spent an hour with her yesterday, and she prayed for me and, and lifted my family up and lifted our ministry up. And I was just like, can we get as many of you involved in this ministry as we can, because we need people who will believe and pour their lives into young adults. So I would find people like that that can be for you. And then the other thing I would do is I would really take time to listen to the people. So Mm -hmm. listen to them, take them to lunch, have a lot of coffees, find out what's on their heart and let that drive your teaching. Let that drive your sermon preparation. Let that drive your programming. Because sometimes as a leader, you're only thinking about like the leadership of everything you're thinking about what's going to look like. And you're thinking that we're going to do the same thing that Porch is doing or, or whatever Louie's doing or whoever is like awesome these days. And you're going to try to talk like John Mark Comer and you're going to talk about like, you know, all the things he's doing and <clears throat> you're going to try to like import something else. But if you want to really be effective, you need to think about like what your people need. Right. So do the time to say like, what do they need? Like, what they need is, is going to come out from these conversations. And then I can think about how I can hit that need. So I would, my biggest advice to any leader who's leading in this space is it's likely you're older than them. So you're probably not facing all the same things. So you need to listen to them so that you can really understand what they really need. That's so good. I'm reminded of like a sheep and a shepherd, right? If we're called to be the pastor and God's put us there and we're supposed to be helping shepherd these people towards the heart of Christ, we need to know what the sheep need and what they're saying, you know? So I think so many times 
A solid leader is fine with not having all the answers, but is able to cast vision, to rally the troops, to pray, and to, to listen to the people. And then that's just like the beginning of what God can do when, when we recognize and realize as a leader that, you know what, we don't know everything and we want to hear from the people. It's not what I have to say as a leader. It's what do they need to hear that God's going to use me and what do I need to hear from them? So it's an exchange. It's not, here we go, follow me because this is what I can do and what I can say and how I can preach. It's oh, wait, time out. If I'm 30 and I'm speaking to 25-year-olds or 18-year-olds who are navigating the first four years of school or their first job or their first relationship, like the questions that they're asking can be answered if we take time to hear. So that's what comes to my mind. <laughs> Agree. It's Agree. powerful. Well, it's powerful. And what you guys are both talking about, Micah and Mike, is contextualized ministry. And our role is mm -hmm. to be vessels empowered through the Holy Spirit of God, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave dwells within us. And, and God's really assigned us to a specific Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, some place, some city. And um, I believe the Holy Spirit is active and moving mm -hmm. to mobilize people in forms of contextualized ministry and love that you went there. We love Louie and he's mm -hmm. in Atlanta and he is kind of like maybe um, a spiritual father to a generation, yeah. spiritual grandfather. And, mm -hmm. and then I look at like John Mark Homer is like being used by God in really great ways and has been in Portland and, but Portland's so different than Atlanta. And right. we're, not, we're not called to be cookie cutter Christians exactly. when it comes to our ministries. Exactly. Like we need to know right. the audience. And I think it's easy to do that. Like, what are they doing? You peek over their fence. We need to do that. No, no, no. Build what God is giving you with the tools you have in your own backyard. <laughs> right. Listen from them, hear them out, but don't try to copycat when those aren't your people, you know, like yep. collaborate obviously, but when you try to take a ministry and make it your own and it's somebody else's dream and idea that like God's birthed in them. And we tried to, I don't know, confiscate that. Yeah. <laughs> it just gets confusing yeah. for everybody. Well, and so oh. how, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. I was just going to piggyback off that. Cause like one of the things that one of my leadership coaches said to me, that was like a bolt of lightning that just hit me over the head was to say, if you want to be a, he basically challenged me. He said, what, is your core message as a leader. You can't counterfeit it and you can't steal it, but like, what are you mm -hmm. about? What are the things that are your biggest passions and what drives you? And a lot of us are not honest with ourselves to be able to drive that in because we act like what we think everybody else wants us to act call that projection disorder when it comes to uh, counseling and therapy. That's what they call it. Projection disorder where you act like what you think everybody else wants you to be mm -hmm. and as leaders. Sometimes we do that because we want to seem impressive or that we want to have the answers, but leadership comes from within. Like, who are you? Like, what are you about? What are the things that God's birthed within mm -hmm. you? And when you are honest with that, people can sense it. Cause they almost like sense it like a sixth sense. Like, are you faking this? Do you really believe what you're saying? But when you own who you really are, what God's called you to, then mm -hmm. people can attach to that. Right. Like I'll get behind that because I, they, they believe it in their guts. And when I remember walking away from that meeting uh, with that, with that leader and I walked away going, Oh, I'm in trouble because I've been acting um, like what I think other people want me to act. 
I've been, I've been saying the answers. I think that they want to hear from a leader, but I'm not sure if I'm always acting out of my core identity of who God has made me to be. And I need to stop doing that. I need to find the core and I need to hold fast to it. And that was one of the most freeing moments in my life. Well, even for the listener, I think that's an amazing realization. And if you're in your early 20s and you're in a form of leadership and pastoral and young adult ministry, to to take some time to re-listen to what Mike just said and to evaluate why do I do what I do and who am I trying to please? Because there's only one person that we need to be pleasing, and that's, that's God, right. right? And to know that if we're in sync with his heart, everything else will just kind of fall into place. Granted, we do have to do our work in the process, but I'm saying if you stay true to who God designed you to be, we won't live to be ashamed. We're not going to be ashamed because I'm not the best evangelist, but I can write. Um, I'm not the best at this, but I can do that. Well, and that's exactly what I think you're talking about, Mike, is to not be um, a chameleon or not act like we're somebody that we're not just to please the people around us, because there's only one there's only one John Piper. There's only room for one of all of us on this earth. There's nobody can copycat that. So no matter how hard we try or anybody tries. <laughs> well, and uh, I love that you went there because you asked such a remarkable question, Mike, of what is our core message? Mm-hmm. And so my mind is going a, a million directions of the, and I get to now reflect and brainstorm and pray and s- just kind of ask out like, Hey, what is the core life message that you have for me to carry? And similarly, like, how about we all get crystal clear? Like you said, I'm yeah. really trying to do what has God asked us mm-hmm. to do for our unique assignment. And one layer deeper, Mike, I would just love to know your thoughts on this or insight that you might have for us, for the listener today, if, for the person who's leading a discipleship group, maybe it's a small group, D group, cell group, whatever they're calling it, and it's ministering to young adults. Uh, what are the things that they can focus on as that facilitator, that group leader, that pastor to keep the main thing, the main thing? It's mm, good. Well, I, I mean, I think the main thing is the gospel, right? So I think the gospel is lived out through relationship. So we know what the gospel is, right? That Jesus Christ gave his, himself for us so that we could have eternal life with God. And he um, has made that available to everybody who wants to believe. But then we live out that gospel calling of being people that God's adopted into his family. And we get to do that in community. And it becomes at that point, not just an intellectual exercise. Like do I have all the right information in my Bible or in a journal, or I can affirm it that I can talk about the substitutionary atonement, or I can talk about like what salvation is and how we're saved by grace through faith alone. Right. Like it moves from that category to then how do I live that out with other people as a broken person who's being redeemed? Right. And has been redeemed, right? So I think as a group leader, if you want to really go far, I think you need to do a, a couple key things. So the first one would be to really prioritize real friendships in those groups. I believe that Christian friendship is um, the secret sauce to following Jesus. Mm-hmm. If you have people who believe in you and expect you to follow Jesus, that's the greatest strength that you can have as a believer. When you know that there's people who are going to be there 
for you and with you when things are really tough and that you can be authentic with when things do get tough. Um, so I think Christian friendship doesn't happen over time. It's not like, Hey, you love Jesus. You love Jesus. Now you're going to be best friends. Like it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you have to spend time together. And that's what a group does. It allows you to go below listening to somebody else talk to actually talking to each other. So I think it's really important. The second thing I would say is you have to really make sure that it doesn't stay at the surface. It has to go to gospel concepts, right? Being people who are in the word, who study the scriptures together, Mm -hmm. who grow deeper in your walk with Jesus, because all friendships are based off of a mutual interest. So most people are friends because you both looked at something and you said, I think that that's great. Whether it's, uh, uh, you know, the Minnesota Vikings or it's, (laughs) yeah, or it's some TV show or sports or even, you know, if you fall in love with somebody, you're like, you're great. And the other person, you're also great. We're great together, right? So you say there's something great. This is a Tim Keller concept, right? So Tim Keller says, the greater the thing that you both look at and say, that's beautiful, the deeper the friendship. And when it comes to our relationships with Jesus, when we're all pointing to Jesus to go, he's enough, he's the one that we're about, those relationships get the the sweetest Mm -hmm. and the deepest because we're all pulling in the same direction. And there's nothing like that uh, in any other part of life other than a small group where you have people who are like, we're all about that. And so that's what I would say about keeping the main thing, the main thing is being people who, uh, a get deeper, get real. And they're all pointing in the same direction. That's good. That's so good. We were talking to one of our friends just yesterday. We were also in the, in the studio here and just podcasting. And he had said something and I just wrote it down again, because I thought it was so good. And it's, I want to be associated with your greatness. And he was talking Mm -hmm. about more or less being pride, prideful in that situation and wanting to like rub shoulders with the people. But I'm like, wow, what if we took that approach and we wanted that for people to know who we are because of Christ in us? Like I want to be associated with his greatness. And if we as leaders can understand, like, even if we're cross-cultural, if we are cross-denomination, like we want to be associated with each other because of his greatness, right? Not just because of our life groups or our Bible studies or our church or our four walls. In addition to that, yes, is beyond that. It's if you're a child of God and you're claiming to be a child of God, then we want to be associated with his greatness. And we should be able to point each other in that same direction when we feel off course, or we feel like we become competition instead of collaborators. So just a reminder for the leader and the listener Mm -hmm. that we are all a bunch of kids playing in a sandbox and we should be playing together and and, it looks different in different seasons don't get me wrong but it should be fun like god's given us this playground and he's saying go have fun like do what you what i've called you to do get dirty get messy invite people in your sandbox you know and whatever happens along the way so i'm just reminded of that greatness if we can be associated with the greatness and the goodness of god if people look at us when they know us like we will smell like the fragrance of god like they will see Mm. him in us and through our actions through our words through our reactions um because we live in a very um I don't know, high strung world that seems to be walking on eggshells in every single room we walk into. So if we can just decrease that fear and increase that curiosity um, as Christ followers, whether it's pointing people to Christ or decrease the fear and increase the curiosity of other leaders in the room of who we are and who God's created us to be, 
I think that's essential because once you know who you are and whose you are, when you realize you're all on the same team, you don't become a threat anymore, right? Yeah. And I think as young leaders just coming out of the shoot, sometimes you're like this buck and horse and you're just like, just let me in, let me out, let me out. Like when's the gun <laughs> going to go off? And you have all this angst inside of you because you're like, I'm going to change the world. And then you, the, the gun goes off, the shoot opens and you take off and you're like, whoa, wait, <laughs> where do I start? <laughs> That's right. That's right. I've like, supposedly been preparing for something. Billy Graham has got nothing on me, but I'm going. Everybody's gonna be like in awe of my talent, and like, okay, John Piper, we challenge you. No, I was kidding. That's right. We challenge you. I know. It, oh my gosh. What you're saying is so true. It's like there's such a desire to make a difference, and that's coming from a great place. But how about we make a difference in the ways that God wants us to make a difference? And then leave the rest up to him. That's so good. Uh, and I believe that a lot of us are constantly still trying to get God's attention and his affection in some way. Yeah. And maybe God just wants us to say, my best for you is to just be the person that I made. Like, I like you just the way that you are. Right. And whatever that means for you, go pursue it. Because you're going to find more happiness in who I've made you to be than trying to please me because I'm already pleased with you. Right. Wow. And That's a lot of us true. really struggle to do that. I do. Like, I'll, I'll just be honest. Like, I'm like, no, but you don't understand. Like, I gotta, I gotta do some things, you know? That's and what I've been point. learning the most recently is just like, God's just saying, Hey, just I'm enough. And, 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 and you need to just, just know that. That's so good. There's, there's a power in contentment with that. Yeah what you just mm -hmm. said, like, like knowing that he is enough and to just pause for a second and be content with that, mm -hmm. because then everything else kind of falls into its place when, when that is our focus and our aim and our desire. That's so good. Yeah. That's so good. Amen. Well, Mike, we know, we think you're a sports fan. Are you a sports fan? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, are you <laughs> ready for the home run derby? Oh, your Titans. Oh yeah, right? let's do it. All right. Two, two minute drill. We'll put five minutes on the clock then. Two minute drill with five minutes on the clock. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whatever he just said. That's what he said. I was All right. football because he said, <laughs> I <Titans>. know. <laughs> All right, Mike. So question number one, we're going to go one layer deeper of what we were just talking about. What's the greatest advice you have for that young leader who's listening? And maybe you want to take it one layer deeper from what we were just discussing. So the best advice I would have is I would seek out someone to pour into you you're going to be pouring out a lot mm -hmm. but i would encourage every young leader to go find someone who is where they want to be so go find someone that you're just like man i want to be them five years down the road 10 years down the road and i'm going to pursue them and say hey would you just give me mm -hmm. an hour of your time maybe once a, a month maybe a couple times a year where i could just come and just like learn from you. I think that will go farther than almost anything else that you do in ministry. And then I would just also say this, have fun. Like ministry yeah. is supposed to be fun. Yes. Sometimes we make it a lot of work and sometimes it gets really stressful. Sometimes we don't know where we're going, but uh, make it fun because then you're going to want to stick in it. Mm -hmm. So those are two things. 
It's amazing. And uh, maybe you're listening and just feeling the need for a mentor or feeling the need for somebody to pour into you. And our prayer is that like, yes, this podcast could be a small part of that, but maybe this podcast is an on-ramp for a relationship Mm -hmm. with one of the guests who's leading in the front lines of young adult ministry mm-hmm. that you resonate with something that they said, or they shared something that was a common shared interest or shared desire or shared struggle. And so my prayer today is that, man, maybe you scroll through the past few episodes mm-hmm. of who would even God guide you to that's been on the podcast. And maybe it's somebody in your church, somebody in your small group right. closer up in your life, but um, definitely echo that of just to pursue mentorship. And similarly, um, I would just say, I would just say no leader who's a good leader is too busy to develop others. Wow. Yes. This is what, this is what we're about. Like we're about developing leaders. So uh, it may not be, it may not be the right timing for one or two, but I guarantee you almost every single leader likes pouring into other leaders because they had someone to do that for that. So yes. Right. Question two. Sorry. I got it. love it. Mike, if you could describe yourself in three words, what would they be? Well, I'd say the first one is I'm a father. Um, it's, it's become, it's more of a recent thing over the last 10 years, but man, that just defines who I am as, as a person, as a, as a dad. Um, second, um, I hope, that I'm fun. Like I love having fun with my friends and my kids and my, my ministry. Uh, and then lastly, I'm pretty focused. I, I don't know where that came from because I, there was a stage in my life where I wasn't, but right now it's like, I want to do uh, what God wants me to do. And then, and then the time I have left, I just want to do everything I can uh, to, to make a difference for Jesus. So I'm pretty focused on that. That's awesome. I even alliterated them. Yes, there you go. I love it. Question number three, here's the curve wall, or here's maybe your Hail Mary pass and hope we don't fumble it. But here we go. If you could ask Josiah and myself one question today, what would you ask us? All right. So I, I saw this question um, as I was thinking about this, this thing, you guys sent me a little like run through, which means that you guys are really focused and prepared. So kudos to you. So here's my question. Uh, what do you think is the difference between Gen Z and late millennials? How do you define, and I, that might be a way bigger question, uh, but like, what do you think the difference is between those two? Yeah, I love that I know question. where my head goes, but I love that question. Okay. Um, I mean, some of it is just social scientists define it by like birth year or the other way that a lot of people will go is like life events. So the shared life event that a lot of people would agree is nine 11 for millennials. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, their birth year of Gen Z is pretty much right about that millennium and different people debate it, but it's pretty much the year either 1996, some people say, or others will say the year 2000 is like, when Gen Z started. So when you think about like passion conference that just happened, everyone there, mm-hmm. 18 to 25, they're all Gen Z. That's right. Mm-hmm. They're all Gen Z. So that's one thing. But as far as like, if you're looking for maybe a tangible difference, I'm a millennial by birth year, mm-hmm. but I think also I didn't get a phone at all until I was 16 years old. Yeah. And I didn't get a <laughs> smartphone. Gosh, I think I was like 18 or 19 when the iPhone original came out. Um, or that's when I got it anyway. And so I would just say that like true generation Z, they had a cell phone and iPhone in their hands probably by the age of six and knew what to do with it. 
Mm-hmm. That that's just a thought. Where, where were you going to go? <laughs> well, I think of technology. I think is a huge indicator of how the world has changed. And we were just listening to another podcast within the last, what was it? 10 years, over 300 years of history has actually taken place. Like that's like the equivalency in the technology world world and how fast things Mm -hmm. have changed. Um, But I think of education. I remember I'm a millennial as well. I remember growing up and it was four years, four years, four years, four years. You need to go to school for four years to get an education, to get that four-year degree. And we come across a lot of individuals because technology has been so um, infiltrated the schools in a positive way and also negative, but I'm going to go with a positive route. Um, They knew how to do YouTube videos, they're blogging, they're vlogging, they have their own websites, they're making their own merchandise because technology has exposed them to so many things along the way. They are very entrepreneurial without the degree. So we come across a lot Mm -hmm. of individuals who maybe come to a two-year school or go to a trade school, may finish, may not finish, but land a a decent paying job because they have a skill set that they've been, you know, stepped into at age 10. So I think just looking at that, I'm like, wow, if I would have listened to my mentor 10, 15 years ago when he said, start a blog, and I'm like, what the heck? I don't start a blog. If I would have done that now, I always, I always wondered today, where would I be? You know, if I would have taken mm-hmm. that technology and stepped into that then, not 15 years later. Um, so I just think that the, the young adults' minds and with Gen Z and the millennials, just their concept of education and what they are willing to pay for and what they don't want to pay. Um, And also kind of goes in hand in hand with the discipline aspect. I feel like millennials, like uh, maybe a little more disciplined. Like I started this, I'm going to finish it. Not all of them, but that's how I think I grew up. And now it's like, man, I'll show up if I want to, to your school, blah, blah. So it's a little more loosey goosey in my mind of how, and who I've come across. Now to say either is right or wrong. It's more or less a realization of like, okay, I know that I can be a constant and consistent person in their life, even when they are not. So (laughs) I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's where my mind went with the education route because of technology. Oh my gosh. And 10 more seconds on education. Millennials took on more in student loans than any other generation combined. And Mm -hmm. we're seeing that Gen Z is a little bit more adverse to um, student loans specifically, but debt. So just Mm -hmm. the way that they're handling money. Um, they might be more interested in things like crypto or things that are they're learning about inflation right now as a mm-hmm. teenager. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to diversify so that I'm not going to be on the wrong side of inflation. Or I'm going to buy a property, rent it out, sell it and have it paid off in three years. It's a $400,000 property and I'm 21 years old. And they had their mindset and their skill set already projecting them down that road. By the time they're 30, they're going to be a millionaire. Not that that's their goal, but that's what's inside of them. So for me, I'm like, wow, kudos to you. <laughs> I think there's, I, the reason I asked that question is that I think that there's a difference between the two. And I not, I mean, I think if it's like, oh, you're a couple years, you know, you're born in 93. There's not a bright line between the two, but it does seem that there are significant differences. And I believe that the big challenge that's going to face that's facing young adult ministries is to pivot from reaching millennials to reaching Gen Z. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people who are pastoring churches or who have been in ministry for a while, even church plants, they're still thinking millennials are the young ones, wow. but they're not. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's one of the big realizations I've kind of stepped into. It's like, okay, 
we need to really be investing Gen Z more heavily mm-hmm. than millennials because Gen Z is already like 25. Right. Right. Yep. And so we're calling them millennials, but they're not. And right. they, yep. they think differently. In fact, they, I almost sense that they think a lot more like uh, the greatest generation. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're a lot more idealistic and black and white than millennials were. And I don't, I don't, I don't have any data on that. I'm, that's one of the things I'm, I'm trying to figure out the most. I'm like, okay, so how do these people really think about the world? Like they, we gotta, we gotta start doing a lot of thought about that as leaders in this space. So anyway, that's my question. Right. I love that right. you went there, Mike, and it was fun to have. And speaking of education, we'll wrap up with two Quick questions. The first is you're in your PhD program. What are you studying and are you enjoying it? I am uh, studying preaching. So I'm, I'm almost done. I just submitted uh, my um, application to graduate. So awesome. <laughs> I've been doing a PhD in, um, in uh, preaching focused on Jonathan Edwards missionary preaching. So Jonathan Edwards, uh, one of the greatest theologians that America's ever produced. Uh, he's also an incredible preacher and he, uh, got fired when he was, um, in his fifties because he had the audacity to say that only Christians should be church members. That was like his big Mm. thing. And as a result, he was fired. Uh, from his mega church that he was pastoring. And uh, what he did is that he could have gone anywhere and gotten paid really well, but instead he went to the mission field, which at that time was moving about a hundred miles West to Stockbridge uh, where uh, a group of people were living uh, that were called Mohicans. That's actually the same town that the last of the Mohicans was based off of those people. Um, And so he moved there and he began to preach differently there. So the top two scholars are disagree as to why some one guy says uh, it's because he was uh, burned out and sad. And uh, the other person who came along said, well, I don't think that's true. I think he did it because he was intentionally contextualizing his ministry and he was doing it before contextualization was even a discipline. And so uh, I did a a study to say like, well, which one of these people are right? So that's what my dissertation is about. Oh my gosh. I can't wait until it's published to read it. Here we go. Well, good luck with all of that, my friends. Yeah. I'm I'm like on overdrive. I'm submitting in two weeks. So hopefully, hopefully I'll no longer be doing. No small things happen in your life. No small things. All right. My question number five, last thought of the day. If you could tell a group of college pastors and ministry leaders, one thing, if we handed you the microphone, what would you leave them with today? I would say, I mean, we've talked about a bunch of stuff like listening to people about knowing yourself. I think those things are really important. Um, I would say the last piece is just to trust God with it. I think a lot of times, and I'm just one, I'm just the first one in this line of people, mm-hmm. but I think sometimes we can find our identity in what we do and we can find our hope in what we do and we can find our worth in the ministry we do and we can tie ourselves so closely to it that we can't lead it and the reason why god says uh uh 
in Proverbs 26, 25, it says, the fear of man is a snare, but those who trust in the Lord are safe. The reason why the Bible says that is because um, fearing what people think and, and caring about what they think too much uh, can be something that you worship and you can't lead anything that you worship. Mm. And so if you want to lead your organization well, you have to make sure that you separate yourself from it, that it isn't your identity. Because when you separate yourself from it, you're able to actually lead it well because you're not worshiping it anymore. So good. Um, and so I think that's one of the hardest things for me is because like, I, I, I just want to, if you're an Enneagram person, I'm an Enneagram three, I like thrive on winning and success yep. and I worship it. And if I'm not careful, I'll find my identity in it. And so I think for many of us leaders, we, we got into this for the right reasons, but we also are driven people who love people. And so we find our identity in it. So I would just say like, just, just trust God with it. Good. Mike, that speaks to me. I can relate as similar Enneagram, maybe similar demeanor or just personality and um, just appreciate your vulnerability, your transparency, your investment in Mike and I mm -hmm. with this hour, but also with the listener and our community of young leaders. So we just want to say thanks for the work you're doing at Kairos and for taking some time to pour into young adults today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Love y'all's heart. I can see God's got his hand on you guys. Oh my gosh. I just encourage you guys to keep pushing forward. So don't give up. God's got a huge plan for you. Oh, thank you so wow. much. We received that. <laughs> Last thing is if you we always need to hear that, don't we? Yes, oh. we do. <laughs> I mean it. I wow. mean it. Wow. Thanks, Mike. And uh, if you want to find out more about Mike Carter, Kairos, hopefully um, that soon to be published dissertation, you can, uh, we'll link some of those things in our show notes at Young Adults Today. And you can follow us online at Young Adults Today. Until next time, this is Josiah and Micah signing off. Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.